If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is a regular. We've got Dr. Peter Huntington back again. Now, Dr. Peter Huntington is sponsored by Kentucky Equine Research. He's an expert in nutrition and he's been giving us lots and lots of information. Today, we're going to talk about 10 points of common feeding myths. Now, Peter, tell us a little bit. Oh, how are you today anyway? I've... I'm employed I'm employed by Kentucky Equine Research, not just sponsored. Oh, them, perfect. So, uh... Perfect. Direct, direct rather than indirect connection. And I think the other thing is too, you're not just a feed expert, but you also have got a background in, and if someone wants to go back to his first interview, they'll find out a lot more about Dr. Peter Huntington, but you are a vet and now you're specialising in horse nutrition. Is that right? Yeah, and I also wrote, or, uh, wrote a book called Horse Sense on horse hair, all aspects of Horse Care of Horses, which yes. is uh, second edition now. Okay, good. By Lance yes, yep. Not that I've been able to retire on the proceeds of, uh, of any book uh, writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Okay. And I think within that book, is that where the, you know, talking about condition of horses and measuring condition, is that where that was that yes. was written? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, it was published in science publications, but it was all was also written in that uh, in that in that book, yeah. Yep, yep. And I think that itself is used quite a bit. And I certainly know within Australia that that's, that scale's used, yeah. Now, 10 points about common feeding myths. It's very easy. There's lots of myths now that we've got the internet, now that we've got, you know, you'd sort of think that now we've got a lot more evidence-based research that there'd be less myths, but there's still quite a few myths, isn't there? Oh, it it's more, and the, unfortunately, the internet sort of contributes uh, to that because anybody can write something and put something on forums and uh, mm. these these discussion points or have their own website, and they don't have to notice their knowledge or credibility, education before they do that sort of thing. So, yes. um, yep. So, if someone's on a forum and they've got a question. What are the sort of things they should look at? They should look at the experience and qualification of the person, the the evidence-based research that's behind the the um, information they're giving. Anything else that we've missed there? I think I think so. There's a lot of people, you know, sort of. I had this horse with this problem, and the people who tend to come on are those maybe busier than some others, and um, they go, "Oh well, you know, I've heard of a horse with this thing, or you know, it's all one horse based." And evidence-based research is not based on one horse. Yes. Um, so when we do research into nutrition, you have to have multiple horses so that you can get what's called a statistically significant difference. Mm-hmm. And that takes out the element of chance from, from a difference because you can always get a response that's by chance. And we have multiple horses, the elements of chance. And we sort of use a cutoff point of about 95%. So 
So we're, we're sort of, uh, we talk statistical significance and, you know, we're 95% confident that what we're saying is a true result. Yes, yes. Why, you know, you have a probability or that statistical probability. So we'll use 95% uh, rule. Um, okay. In, in saying something statistically significant. So um, that's, you know, the way that takes the element of chance out of what can happen if, you, if you're making a judgment on just one horse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the first myth, pasture provides everything that a horse needs. If a horse is fat and looking well on pasture, does that mean that he's actually getting everything that he needs? Absolutely not. And uh, so they can have enough energy and protein um, in it in their diet, and yep. so therefore they'll be in good, good condition uh, and looking well. But some of the minerals um, may not be there, particularly minerals. Our bread pastures are good sources of, of fat-soluble vitamins, um, of course, vitamin C. So it's more the minerals and the trees. So there some pastures like Dakuyu and Bill uh, and Queensland on, on tropical pastures that have uh, low levels of calcium and high levels of phosphorus and have oxalates that buffer that, um, that sort of the absorption of calcium so they can be calcium deficient and there can be other situations where they might be selenium deficient or copper might be low. There are regional selenium deficiencies, Western Australia, uh, Valley, uh, coastal areas in Victoria are selenium deficient and that's an important trait mineral, important part of the horse's immune system. So just because uh, they're looking good on pasture doesn't mean everything's there and that's where some advice from uh, an experienced support um, um would be used, and often some analysis of the pasture would continue. Uh, what's missed, what's there, and what's, what's potentially missing. So okay. pasture, first choice, feed for horses, mm-hmm. but it doesn't guarantee um, that just because there's enough energy, it doesn't guarantee that all the other nutrients are there. All right, all right. Now, the next thing we've got is about protein. So we've got to admit that is protein causes excitability, DOD, and kidney damage. Now, the DOD, is that developmental orthopedic? De- developmental orthopedic disease, which yep, is yep. a sort of actual group term for a number of disorders in uh, growing young horses, mm-hmm. such as um, uh angular deformities, OCD, wobblers, uh, cysts, um, contracted tendons, etc. So okay. put them all in, all in that group. And, and protein is blind for a lot of things uh, that go wrong in horse diets. Um, uh, and partly because when people buy eggs, protein is the first thing that they read on that bag and it's one of the things that's possible to measure accurately. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas many, some of the other things like energy are actually the estimates. So protein is that people look, I, you know, I want to... They say they want a high protein feed when they mean a high energy feed. They they get to it and use a lot. Um, and so you know, protein is necessary for um, either building body tissues, uh, such as happens when uh, a mare is making, you know, when a mare is producing milk, um, or when a uh, young horse is growing. Uh, it's responsible for repair of tissues, so repair of muscles. That's important in um, in a working horse, but. The, the average adult horse has got relatively low protein requirements because they're not growing. And um, and work causes an increase, but not a dramatic increase. So many horses are overfed protein, and because of that, they sort of blame um, 
you know, riders blame that overfeeding protein for a whole myriad of things, um, including these sort of things we've discussed there, excitability. Now, if they're overfeeding energy and they're too fat, then, then behaviour will be a problem mm-hmm. um, if they're not working hard enough. Um, kidney damage, you know, the urine uh, can look different, uh, can be quite uh, a high-protein diet and, and high-calcium diet. You can get sort of whiter-coloured urine, and they think that's a sign of kidney damage. Um, or you get really um, sort of uh, sweat that's very uh, foamy sort of sweat. So, again, that's a bit of a sign of excess protein. So um, I don't think we, we need to be too worried about excess protein in most situations, perhaps in endurance horses, it's something you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but excess protein is, called, is turned into energy. Um, but it's an expensive nutrient, so you don't really want to overfeed it. So you okay. don't. Uh, it's a matter of then, you know, getting your diet assessed and uh, doing the numbers about what your horse, what you're getting and what your, what your horse needs. But uh, it's not the big bug there. Loosen A is blamed for so many things. Okay. Again, and that's on, along similar lines. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about getting feed assessed and everything in a little bit, but we'll keep going along with the next myth. The next myth is pelleted feeds are lower in quality than sweet feeds. Now, for people who are new to horses, can you explain the difference between pelleted feed and a sweet feed? Right, well, a sweet feed is is uh, a feed where you've got a mix of grains and perhaps a pellet, or perhaps not a pellet, but a sort of covered in molasses and oil. And, uh, you know, it looks something like, you know, muesli that they might eat for breakfast. Uh, and when you're making a feed, you want to make it appealing to the horse owners so that they, they, <laughs> they do want to eat it for breakfast. Pelleted feed is, 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 is just a pellet that's about a, you know, sort of brown uh, brown pellet, often about a centimetre long and uh, five, three to six um, millimetres wide, um, cylinder there. So pelleting is an old uh, processing uh, technology that combines find some ingredients, uh, often takes some powdered ingredients, and then you use heat and pressure to put them together. And uh, one of the things about pelleted feeds is you can make, a feed with a sort of given nutrient content for the lower cost in you know, intelligent feed than you would if you're doing that in a in a sweet feed or a muesli feed or mm-hmm. a textured feed. Um, you can also make it the lower cost an extruded feed. So it's really all about the quality of uh, the uh, all about the nutrition that's there, and uh, it's the manufacturer, reputable manufacturer. Will, uh, feed safe accreditation and quality standards, and you know, does the feed stack up to being what it what it should be? Okay. Uh, and so, you can have a much better quality pelleted feed, for example, than a sweet feed, uh, even though uh, the cost of the pelleted feed is lower. So, uh, just because um, pellets an older technology doesn't mean it's an inferior mm-hmm. one, and it doesn't mean that it creates inferior feeds. Okay, so that's another myth we can get rid of there then. Okay, now salts and electrolytes. What's the difference between salts and electrolytes? Because some people think that feeding salt is the same as feeding an electrolyte. Well, they do, and it's probably if you're feeding salts, plural. Mm-hmm. Salt is something chloride, and that's the one thing many horses need, and even the horses we spoke of earlier on pasture that are in good yep. condition, often they need extra salt, um, and uh, putting a salt block out for them is, uh, is common common sense and, and good practice. Um, when horses uh, overheat when they work and uh, overheat, they sweat to lose heat, and in their sweat they lose electrolytes. And electrolytes are, are minerals um, 
as I say, we talk about the ones that are lost in sweat, and there we've got sodium, chloride, potassium, smaller amounts of calcium and magnesium. So salt is just sodium and chloride, but in sweat, and these are the things we need to replace in electrolyte supplements, then you've got some other minerals there, and potassium's a, a key one of those, as well as the sodium and the chloride. So um, it will need to be uh, some of those products in the category are called salts, so that probably contributes to the, uh, uh, the confusion there uh, between salt and, and electrolytes. Some okay. electrolyte supplements in the name might have heavy salts or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Now the next myth, oil will make my horse excitable. So can we have a little bit of background why people might think that it would make their horse excitable and then how it's not going to? Right. Well, oil is probably is the highest thing feed, the highest energy density feed can use with horses. So mm-hmm. uh, a cup of oil's got the same amount of energy as, say, um, three quarters of a kipper or three quarters of a kilo of oats, for example, or three three quarters of a, a dipper. So, you know, it's uh, got three times the energy content of oats okay. or, or a, a palleted feed or many sweat feeds. But if you have a situation where the horse is being overfed energy, then excitability is one of the consequences of that if you have the horse that's, that's fat and overfed and the work. So I can see how sometimes people blame it for oil. If you've got a horse that's already got too much energy and you're adding some oil, mm-hmm. then you're adding a significant amount and you're going to add extra energy. However, in, in, in basic terms, calm energy comes from fat and from fibre, and more excitable, explosive energy comes from starch and sugar, which come from grains. And so um, oil, in fact, is a cool energy source, but if fed to the horse that's already in a positive energy balance and um, and putting on weight, then maybe it can just contribute to that positive energy balance that then reflects in excitability. All right, that explains it well. Thank you. Now, fish oil. Horses are herbivores, so should we feed fish oil to horses? <laughs> yeah, well, that's sort of something some people worry about. Mm. The reason we feed fish oil is because it's it's not a, it's it's a source of energy too, but it's okay. um, you don't feed enough you don't feed enough of it to to make a significant amount of energy. But it's a great source of long chain omega three fatty acids, and I think we've spoken previously about some of the health benefits of omega three fatty acids: the anti-inflammatory properties, the anti-allergic things, uh, positive effect on reproduction, uh, positive effect on joints, um, uh, on lungs. And, yep. uh, you know, many people are probably taking fish oil themselves okay. and, or know the benefits of extra fish for fish oil. Mm-hmm. So the similar, similar sort of benefits apply to the horse. And um, that is one of the only sources of these long-chain, very active omega-3 fatty acids. You'll get, um, you'll also get them in the short-chain forms in regular fish oils like uh, seed oil or canola oil. Uh, or in grass, but often the grains in the horse's diet um, are high in omega-6 fatty acids that sort of counteract omega-3s and are, are more pro-inflammatory rather than anti-inflammatory. So fish oil, good supplement if you're interested in uh, reproduction, in health of the horse's lungs, uh, or in um, uh, anti-inflammatory properties. And the only way you get these uh, long-chain active omega-3 fatty acids is through fish oil. Okay, good, 
good. All right, now the next one, bran. Bran has a laxative effect. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of myths around bran. Uh, I, I guess, you know, it was an old-fashioned feed for horses. Uh, it was one that was available. So yes. um, it, was, um, it was, you know, available when there were less things available. Mm-hmm. In, in people, bran might have a laxative effect, but in horses, the fibre content of the bran is, is not that high relative to some other ingredients that we feed. So... Um, if you've got uh, to, to be feeding a significant quantity of bran, um, it's, uh, you'd be better to feed a biscuit of that because it's got a lot more fibre. You'd mm-hmm. be better for sort of gut health and, and general um, avoiding action. Um, so, you know, bran, people still feed bran mashes and there are times when they're useful. If you've got a horse that's worked really hard and, you know, they, you, you want to get them to eat, um, the bran match might have a bit of extra water in it, but you want to avoid too much bran because it's going to be high in phosphorus and low in calcium. One of the mistakes, you know, show horse people make is, you know, the old-fashioned, you feel feeding up with bran and pot and they're trying to feed them in a way that doesn't make the horse too excitable, but to make them, uh, make them fat. And um, uh, so that's uh, sort of... Uh, Unfortunately, well, fortunately, that sort of practice seems to be reducing these days. But mm-hmm. um, there are still um, there's still place for bran. Um, but the the people who the flour mills who process uh, bran these days are actually getting better at getting the fibre out, and so quality of the the bran we're getting is um, is getting uh, lower okay. as time goes on. So that sort of flaky bran that people used to get in feed um, is is harder to find, and uh, Really, if you're wanting a laxative effect, then uh, salt will probably um, be more likely to do that, or hay, because both of those things make the horse drink. All right, all right. Now, the next one we've got, next myth, is apple cider vinegar and garlic can improve immunity and gut health. Yeah, apple cider vinegar is an interesting one. I think it it can uh, probably um, do something, can, can Enhance palatability okay. from time to time. Um, with if you've got a feed with things in there that the horse didn't want to eat, so it seems to have some benefit there. But you know that doesn't necessarily mean it improves gut health. And uh, in terms of um, you know uh, its effect on gut pH is going to be negligible. Um, garlic is purported to do a lot of things. Um, fed in excess, it can um, actually cause anemia, so it can be toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, at um, you know, I think uh, the the place for garlic is probably uh, in your own kitchen, and uh, you get more benefit out of there in the flavour and the food, okay. uh, than, uh, improving uh, improving the horse immunity. There's other okay. things that are much better at um, other things that are much better at both immunity and gut health. The next one is all vitamins and minerals have the same bioavailability. Yeah, well, that's sort of an interesting one because there's great um, differences in quality there and there are probably things uh, that uh, in the mineral area, there are organic minerals and inorganic minerals uh, or the organics are also called collated and they're purported to have greater bioavailability. Availability, but um, some of the research that we've done showed that they in fact don't. So the uh, inorganic minerals can be, which are much cheaper, can be just as well absorbed as some of the organics. There are some forms of organic minerals that are shown to have uh, have some good benefits, and we've used in uh, you know, Zinpro performance minerals in a number of our products, and uh, 
that showed to have sort of benefits for the uh, the hoof health and for uh, bone density and uh, and even reduced gastric ulcers. So there okay, are good. some specific specific things there. Um, as far as vitamins go, um, the um, the vitamins in, in vitamin E is one area where you have synthetic vitamin E, and that has much lower bioavailability than natural vitamin E. So. If you're looking at a feed or a supplement, then um, looking for natural forms will natural vitamin E um, is going to be superior bioavailability. It can be between two and five times more bioavailable than than the synthetic form of, of vitamin E, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. And then the last one we've got here is um, oral joint supplements. They don't get absorbed. Yeah, well, I guess that's uh, there's a lot of joint supplements out there. It must be very confusing for people over what to uh, choose. Yes. And a whole great range of manufacturers. And I know there's been some research in the US where they um, – actually looked at assaying these joint supplements and comparing the label claims with the amounts in them and only about 30% of them had what they were meant to have. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you look at the manufacturers that have, um, uh, you know, shampoo certification. And um, as far as the ingredients go there, things like chondroitin um, is a large molecule, is probably... Um, only a small part of it is absorbed, but I think there's some data to say that that can be quite useful. So, yep. uh, and glucosamines are common uh, ingredient in oral joint supplements, and uh, research has shown that uh, the uh, bioavailability of that, though um, low, is significant. Things like hyaluronic acid that are quite common uh, in both injectable forms and oral supplements. Uh, there's probably a question mark about the uh, molecular weight of the hyaluronic acid, so there's an ideal molecular weight. If the size is too small, um, it, it might be absorbed but won't be active. And the ideal molecular weight, there's actually work being shown that by supplementing that orally, the genes that in that control production within the horse's joint are actually switched on, so you get better production of hyaluronic acid. Okay. So by supplementing it orally, um, it's switching on the local production, so there are some, some benefits there. So even though there isn't as much um, evidence for the efficacy of uh, oral joint supplements as there is for some injectable forms, but it doesn't require a to administer them, um, giving them on a daily dose because many of the injectable forms are not given often enough, and that being a cost, as you know, it's a cost factor. So yep. I think the oral supplements have got a place, but I think people need to be uh, careful about uh, trying to assess uh, quality mm-hmm. product rather mm-hmm. than just take one that makes the biggest splash on their um, um, on their Facebook page. All right. Now we've created a problem because people who've been living by this myth are just not knowing where to go, what to do. And you, you talked about testing for a balanced feed. First of all, how can someone test for a balanced feed and how can they know? You know, everyone wants to do the right thing by their horses. Everyone wants to feed their horses correctly, get them looking good. But especially people that have got performance horses, they want to make sure that they're 
doing the right thing by their horse. Everyone wants to make sure. Tell us about sure. what what Kerr can offer and what we can, you know, what the average horse owner can do or benefit by by just visiting their website. Yeah, we. I mean, like a number of other companies in the sort of horse nutrition area, we have a nutrition advice service, mm-hmm. and we have people contact us to say, "I'm feeding X, Y, and Z." How does that sort of fit with the new requirements of the, the horse on fitting? And we'll have a look at that. Um, we've also got, um, uh, ideally, you would have some forage process to back that up so you know the specifics about the forage. And there are labs like um, a lab, Seabass uh, at Bendigo in Victoria. Uh, there are some in Queensland that do it. We send samples to um, the Equianalytical Lab in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get excellent, excellent results there, and um, we um, we use that because then we can be more precise about what the whole part involves um, because we've got the information about the forage. So we're looking at uh, using using uh, some software to compare what the requirements are. So we need to know what the type of horse is, what work it's doing. With breed, weight, etc. Mm-hmm. You've got things like online microseed. That is um, an online service that's uh, provided on the uh, on the Barristock website, where people can go in and describe their horse and talk about the hay they're feeding, and that will actually come up with a recommended feed um, and uh, a recommended feed that provides a balanced diet, and will tell them how much hay to feed and how much uh, how much of a, of a hard feed to use. Okay. And it will create a balanced diet. So there are there are ways where people could do it themselves, um, and also that uh, they can get advice from a company like ours. The KR advice line is one eight hundred seven seven two one nine eight, or by emailing advice at kr dot com. And I think somewhere on our website we have got a, uh, a sort of link to uh, the diet advice. Uh, Service. So, if mm-hmm. I'm, um, if I look at that, I can probably uh, probably <laughs> tell you uh, tools. Uh, tools. Um, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm uh, sure people will be able to go yeah. in and have a look, and it's got a good search function as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's got yeah. a good search function. The other great thing about the KR website is the um, is the Equinews section where there's so. Question diet evaluation is on the consultation page in About Us. So you can go to About Us, the first tab is consultation, and at the bottom of that, request a diet evaluation. But if you go to the library and go to Equinews, there is um, a search function there with thousands of, tens of thousands of short, easy to understand articles on course nutrition and feeding. Or you've got the more sort of scientific versions in, in advances in equine nutrition, or in the published research. We've been KR's been back for thirty years now. We've been having nutrition conferences, and we just had the, the recent one of those. And in that time, we've published um, you know hundreds of um, articles on on equine research. So there's a, a, a treasure trove of information there for people on the website. Yeah, perfect. All right. Now, the other thing is, too, you can go to horsechats.com slash Peter Huntington, find out all about Dr. Peter Huntington and just follow through. He's done quite a few podcasts for us as well, so you can find out some information there. And that website, again, it's K-E-R, short for Kentucky Equine Research.com. So there's no AU on that. It's just K-E-R.com. 
Peter, thank you. Thank you for coming on again today. Thank you for um, all your experience and research and, and everything that you've done. And I think that the whole team at Kentucky Equine Research, the support and everything that they've given us, I think has been really good. So thank you for coming on and we look forward to catching up with you again probably in the new year. Yeah, we'll certainly do that. There's always uh, always plenty to talk about in this, uh, <laughs> in this space. And uh, so, uh, yeah, we have a lot, more, a lot more things we could cover. Perfect. Great. All right, we'll talk to you soon then. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks, folks. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.